Hello everyone and welcome to the EVN Disrupt podcast. My name is Nizhjet Zadurian. I'm the editor of the creative tech section here at EVN Report. Our guest this week was Gebert Garapetian, the co-founder and CTO of Xero, a company that is building generative AI solutions for augmenting knowledge workers. We also spoke about the company's platform, Hercules, which delivers generative AI solutions for enterprise customers and the productivity benefits it brings. We also spoke about building defensible businesses in the era of generative AI and the future of co-pilots for knowledge workers. Thank you for listening. Gilbert, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation. I understand it's a pleasure to be here. I want to start with a little bit of your background. Tell me how you got into to tech and entrepreneurship. Absolutely. So my uh, background is pretty traditional for the tech entrepreneurs here in Armenia. So it's like at first after the school, I joined uh, a polytechnic like high school. It mm-hmm. was uh, with like deep uh, like direction towards the math and the physics. Uh, then uh, I uh, graduated that. Uh, I started to continue my study in applied mathematics, again in Polytechnic. Uh, then master's, and I did my PhD in computer science. And after that, uh, I already uh, co-founded the Zero. So before that, like in the process, I was uh, working in tech companies. So during my master's years, I was working in a company called Imagenomic. Mm-hmm. It's a U.S.-based company, and we were providing software for enhancing videos and images uh, for professional photographers. So basically, like edge computing, it was always the thing that I was working on. And when I entered the PhD program, there was a choice whether to combine both working in industry and do research or going towards like harder path (laughs) and choose research only it's pure academia yeah pure academic and like i always have an attitude when you are doing something you need to do it like fully right and i just lived my very high paid uh, uh, job in american company and went to do my phd and I started to work in Institute for Informatics and Automation Problems of National Academy of Science. So my salary was like less than $100 right. per month. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, everything is in our hands. And I applied for grants. I was winning every year the grant for PhD students. So I equipped all the lab with like, you know, PCs, monitors, like, you know, budget for renovations, Mm -hmm. equipment, and so on. I started to collaborate with uh, companies here, for example, PixArt, etc. And by end of the like, you know, day, like, you know, my salary become like pretty (laughs) normal and very high for (laughs) like, you know, traditional scientific uh, salaries. But that's the thing, like everything is in your hands. Right. And one time day, like I was working in my like you know uh, lab, and a person entered and just asked where my professor is, and it was like Sosagayan, uh, who is distinguished professor uh, in uh, San Antonio University, uh, and we started to work together. We started to publish together, like conferences, papers, go to San Francisco and back, mm-hmm. and so on. That teach me a lot about applied science, mm-hmm. uh, and. Basically, a lot like lessons that I learned during uh, that period of time, I am using every day during my life as a CTO. 
I really want to talk about that. But before I ask about that, what was your PhD in? What were your focus It was in uh, computer vision. Right. So it was in M Health. So we're applying uh, computationally heavy like algorithms on mobile devices. So application was in M Health. So we were creating the devices, the adapters for, for example, endoscopy. So let's assume in third world countries, right, or in during the military actions, or in places where you cannot bring this big, like expensive equipment, still people need to get the medical treatment, right? Uh, and we were creating an like, adapter over the iPad, and we do all the image and real-time image and video processing uh, on the small devices. And moreover, then we created the algorithm which was enhancing uh, the image quality that was uh, like empowering cancer screening algorithms hmm. because there was so much noise in the endoscopic images that this algorithm had very high hard time in segmenting like tumors like uh, and so on our algorithm become a very good one we did a lot of like you know tests that it was improving the cancer screening algorithms was that ever commercialized or it wasn't commercialized. We created uh, the prototypes. I was working with some medical institutions both here in the U.S., but it never became like a commercial product. So actually, by when I was about to finish my PhD, I wanted to go to back to industry, uh, and I was like choosing where to go, right, to continue the things that I was doing or something new. And then I met my co-founder. And we discussed about the problem of the productivity for knowledge workers. And, uh, you know, like that mission was so big, you know, like when you are returning the most expensive thing to the people, which is their time. Right. And I said, you can like spend your entire life working on that, dedicating mm -hmm. to that problem. And we started the zero with that mission mm -hmm. and continue till now and will continue. <laughs> and what year was this? What year was the company founded? Uh, 2014. 2014. Okay. Uh, so a lot has happened uh, since then in terms of the world of like AI for, for knowledge workers. Um, let's dive into that. But before we do, I'm curious, you did your PhD, you had a, a really reputable advisor, Dr. Arayan, was a like a world-renowned researcher in computer vision. Presumably you could have continued in, in academia. Like what makes someone who does a, a PhD decide to dive into business and industry instead of following through with science? Actually, when you are doing your PhD, and I'm speaking about the applied sciences, right? Sure. Uh, fundamental, I think, is slightly different. Uh, that is coping a lot of important things which are needed for the entrepreneur, right? Because you need to find uh, the topic uh, which is uh, like important for this time, right? Because you need to attract funding, right? So there are similar things, right? Now, as a startup, we are attracting funding because we are pro solving a problem which matters. The same is in your PhD, right? You need to make sure that it's competitive, right? Uh, because you want to be published in uh, peer-reviewed top paper, like, you know, journals. You want to be called as, a, like, you know, uh, conferences mm -hmm. as a speaker and so on. So and that make you a skill of, like, you know, uh, creating, like, cutting-edge research, which has applied. But I think the most important lesson uh, that I learned, it was, like, system engineering. Like, you can create, like, sophisticated system from many components. And you can do it fast, and you need to make sure that all the components are work together, right. right? And that's a mindset to decompose a problem to the parts, assemble with, like, different components and make it work. Right. And basically, this is absolutely, like, important thing for the, like, 
tech entrepreneurs, like as the CTOs, right. because every time you have a really complicated problem, you need to assemble that, and you are very lean in your resources, so you need to re- reuse a lot of stuff, and you need to have, like, you know, that feeling, like, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, to be able to, like, you know, assemble that uh, uh, systems, and then already work, like, it's from zero to one, right? And then you need to work from one to ten to make it scalable, repeatable, and so on. Yeah. My favorite answer to this question, which I've given a lot on the podcast, was uh, Gebrk Soromanian from AIM, he said, like, oftentimes, like, if an engineer or a scientist thinks that by switching to, like, doing a startup or doing entrepreneurship, they'd be uh, moving away from building things, uh, it's sometimes, like, a, a barrier for them to, to cross. But he put it in the way that really what you end up just doing is you end up building other things, like systems for, like, how the company runs, like, managing people and, like, how the company just works in a more efficient way. And I thought if someone is, at the end of the day, interested in building and systems, it's still a lot of the skills are, you know, absolutely. But yeah, I can you know. add there from that angle. Uh, so I think that this answer has a two parts, right? First, what it is needed to become better, like engineer, right? And the second, when you are entering the world of like, you know, a business, you need to be focused on the ROI. Right. And that's very important thing, right? You can always start on the impact because you need to solve, like, you, you know, bring the technology to solving the problem not developing a technology right. and finding a problem, right? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a classic trap that a lot exactly. of entrepreneurs fall into, yeah. So you already explained a little bit about the opportunity you guys saw, which was or boosting the productivity of knowledge workers. Knowledge workers obviously are the, some of the most highest paid people in industries and maximizing the efficiency of their time is something that businesses are really, really interested in. Tell us at the very beginning what the product looked like. What was the initial opportunity that you guys saw and tried to build for? So the first thing that all of us were facing as like knowledge workers as well was like huge amount of information, right? And you need to identify uh, uh, the signal from huge amount of noise. And the first application was doing like the prioritization of the information based on like many parameters uh, and to make sure that you can focus on the things uh, which were matter, right? And as an application was on email, right? So we're doing prioritization of your email. And uh, back to like nine years ago, right? We were developing uh, the algorithm uh, for summarization of the text, right? It's the thing that now ChatGPT <laughs> can do pretty easily. In that time, it was very hard. Yeah. And moreover, when we were speaking about enterprises, we couldn't move that data out of their like ecosystem and we do it all on like devices or on-prem. Right. So it was pretty hard, pretty challenging. A lot of people were saying, guys, you are crazy that you took that path. Just take some like you know AWS we use like all these like Python uh, yeah. libraries which are available but we were saying no uh, for us privacy and security is number one priority it's number one feature of a feature that we have and we're continuing that part and that's why we start to be attractive uh, for uh, regulated uh, industries like uh, and conservative industries such as legal for example right because they don't own their data they data is their customers' data, clients' data, and they have a lot of legal obligations how to like govern that data. And what does legal data look like? Uh, is it is like briefings? Like uh, it's like you know it's law firm, right? And it has like the customers such as like banks, like right. uh, and the large enterprises and so on. Uh, the data is their 
documents, right. there are emails, just large there are amounts contracts, of text, yeah. there's a huge amount of like textual data. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of manual work has been done uh, to process and analyze that data in terms of like compliance, for example, right? You need to make sure that all the data are, uh, which is related to particular client and matter is stored in particular locations so you can apply of governance, like information governance policies, for example, retention policies for parts of three, four years that data should be like removed or vice versa. There are things that you can keep it for like 100 years, right? Mm-hmm. Will will, for example, right? And you need to make sure uh, after uh, 70 years, you need to come and find where that information right. is. Be there, yeah. <laughs> right? uh, and usually like the, the partners and like associates and like just attorneys are coming and go, right? But the data still uh, need to remain and be classified. And that's the first problem that we were attacking was for com- compliance. So we're very good in the classification of the data and then we just were already putting to the right like location. Right. Uh, after that, you know, because of our classification algorithms are the best in the industry, we said like, you know, uh, we can classify not only documents and emails, but we can also classify the activities. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we uh, created one more product which was classifying all the activities and generating the uh, uh, like invoices for the customers right uh, for for their clients and there's like a tool which calls timekeeping system uh, so the tournage is working we are analyzing all the activities we're classifying we're generating narratives again we're generating narratives many 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 years ago no. <laughs> before, <laughs> for all this generative ai stuff uh, and putting in their uh, time entry systems now we are adding the next product as well uh, which is analyzing all their pre-builds it's like you know it's a, a final draft before sending to the customer right. and we are comparing that across the billing guidelines because every customer uh, have a billing guideline mm-hmm. uh, which sh- like indicates for what they are willing to pay and for what not for for example they are paying uh, for discovery but they are not paying if a partner helps associate to do some work right, right. Uh, and now, but there's a time to pass to, to analyze the, the pre-bills and the billing guidelines. And because of that, they have like 20% of rejection rate. Mm-hmm. And this is, if we are speaking about the largest law firms in the world, which has like billions of dollars of revenue, you can do the math and see the, the amount of the problem. So your system would track when some lawyer at a firm is doing what type of work and then automatically tally up the hours that needs to be built for each task yeah and also the w- suggest what is imp- like uh, what he they can uh, write and what is not so ah, okay. they can be like much more effective in the uh, end of like ROI right because it's everything is about ROI interesting so where does your system sit is it like it's on the uh, it's on the lawyer's computer I guess or for, for lawyers it's, it's their computer their mobile device and also uh, their on-prem servers Fascinating. Yeah, now the legal industry are going uh, to cloud and thank for thanks for Microsoft. They did like huge job, like you know, in convincing guys like <laughs> law mm-hmm. firms to moving to cloud. And we are all they have some like you know customers who have like you know their cloud solutions. So this is for legal, right? But right. then because again we have we're 
so like legal market was really good for us because there's a huge amount of label data. Mm -hmm. So you have the most expensive data labelers, right? <laughs> the right. partners of the right. law firms, et cetera, would be all the job of labeling the data and we were uh, training our algorithms. And then we understand that we are very good in understanding of unstructured data and classifying unstructured data and the extraction of un unstructured data. And then in 2017, Google did uh, like, you know, that paper was published about like uh, attention spots, uh, yeah. Uh, and after that, there was like uh, the BERT model. And we... For those who don't know, BERT was the first like really big language model that was released. Yeah, it was the found first like foundational model yeah. that uh, was where it had adopted like a huge adoption in the industry. And we found that super promising technology we adopted that and we changed our, like, you know, we were always data centric. So for us, small amount of data is better than a lot, a huge amount of like, you know, right. uh, uh, like data, which has well, a lot the quality of, of the data. So quality data yeah. is uh, super important. And we said like, uh, let's go with path of like few shot learning mm -hmm. that you can provide just few examples and give end-to-end -end solution to the customers. And then when they are using the, your software, they are like uh, providing feedback and then by your feedback, you're fine tuning the model already inside their security perimeter. Right. And that creates like, you know, the new generation of our products, which opened the door for us for largest enterprises in the world, such as Fortune 500 customers, right. where we're already there giving like end to end uh, automation solution uh, for the most expensive processes that they have. So we have customers where that's the worth of that like uh, protest is hundreds of millions of dollars that they are paying for people to navigate over the unstructured data. Uh, and now one by one, we are adding the, all these uh, use cases with on, on our like platform and our like engine called Hercules, which is a set of foundational blocks. And we are just assembling end-to-end -end application with having all, all these blocks. So it's kind of like a, a platform that can be customized for that customer's needs or? So, yeah, so when we are understanding the problem, we are just like, you know, reusing our building blocks to create this end-to-end -end mm -hmm. solution. And this generative AI uh, just like added like, you know, fuel to our like, you know, rocket ship right. that we started to be able to ship the end-to-end uh, -end solutions even faster. Right, right. Tell us what some of those building blocks are. So we have like, you know, the high level building uh, blocks is about uh, working with the unstructured data, for example, entity extraction, right, or summarization or uh, uh, normalization of the structured data. Uh, we are using a lot of like building blocks, which are traditional now for like generative AI. Uh, summarization. So te summarization, test to SQL and so on, like, you know, and also we have a lot of uh, guardrails. Uh, because for us, the quality is the most important thing. And uh, we are building a dependable AI, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you can rely on the results of the AI. And that's always like, you know, most important thing for us to gain the trust of the user. That's so the user will collaborate with AI and trust important stuff and delegate important stuff right. uh, to the AI. So things like summarization, question answering on like large amounts of text, uh, extraction, etc. When you say you guys care most about the quality, so you have some large model that is doing those tasks, mm -hmm. and then you have something built in that checks for the quality of that, of how well that task was done, essentially? 
So yeah, uh, actually, like it's much more, right? We are uh, starting from understanding uh, the business, right? Because all these large language models have huge amount of pre-trained data, right? Uh, they are, uh, but they are very generic. So when we are speaking about enterprise contexts, uh, they start to hallucinate a lot, right. right? And you need to at first you need to navigate over this like last mile uh, of making the systems ready for the enterprise. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot of job on, on understanding the ontology, then on the like, you know, mapping, and it's done everything automatically, uh, classifier, create a classifier, so this ontology, and then all that creates a context uh, for large language models. Right. And we have uh, a lot of like separate models, which are like really great to understand the best, which is the best context that you can use for that particular prompt. So that engine we call systematic data labeling engine. We got Gartner cool vendor a year ago because of that. And Gartner analyst said, you know, this is very visionary mm -hmm. uh, st uh, thing because data centric AI is the future. And these guys right. created absolutely automatic like system, which is like, you know, labeling the data. Mm -hmm. And that is our like really competitive advantage because we are saying generative AI is cool, but you need to understand the domain, right? Right, and yeah. the domain comes from ontology, and that's what our like engine does. Yeah, and understanding the context of the exactly. of what the model should be doing. Right, that's really interesting. That means, I guess, when the discovery process for onboarding a customer um, requires understanding their business much more, and then you guys have models that you fine tune with um, data that is specific to them or their domain. I guess. Is what yeah, you're and uh, we have uh, so there are two scenarios, right? So we have the library of the ontology and the classifiers for many industries. And the car. So just explain for those who might not know what, what do you mean when you say ontology. So these are like the top like uh, concepts of their business, right? It's the entities, interconnection of the entities, and uh, that gives you the domain knowledge, right? And we have for many industries, we have the libraries. And when the new customer comes from that particular industry and domain, we are already reusing right. things that we have. And for the new ones, yes, uh, we are working with them to like map this ontology, create classes. So if you've worked with a number of law firms, so you have like a library for the legal domain and you can use that for when a new law firm becomes your client, you're saying? And not law firm. Right now we are working already for large enterprises. We are right. targeting Fortune 1,000. Right, right. What are some of the other uh, big categories other than legal? One is, uh, for example, wealth management, mm. insurance. We are starting working with banking. Uh, so all of them have like very similar problems, which we are uh, like you know solving with our uh, like few products that we have. So one is like end-to-end automate end-to-end end -to -end automation on unstructured data. So one is normalization of the structured data. And it's completely arbitrary, right? You have like, you know, giving uh, two types of the documents that the source template and input and it understand how you it can like modify and process the input document based on the template. We have product like as a verify, which is compliance uh, enforcement. So let's assume you have some rules and you have a data and we un understand where is the gap with that rules. And then we under show to the gap and also we're suggesting uh, the fix to the problem. Compliance enforcement, I imagine, is a huge one because it's super important for the companies to not get into some legal trap if they're without missing on the compliance. As someone serving enterprises, so there's a ton of products out there now in the quote-unquote generative AI space that rely on other model providers, right, to do the services. 
since you guys are working with enterprise and the but the quality of the data as well as issues around like security and privacy are much much more heightened for you guys mm -hmm. what does that mean for you guys when you go to pick a model are you guys building models yourself are you working with open source ones can you go to companies like OpenAI and use their models or just, how does that work for enterprise so that depends on the use case right because the rule of thumb is the following don't send anything uh, to the same open air, which is like very sensitive. Right. And for the rest, why not, right? If you are working on code generation tasks, why not to uh, use uh, OpenAI, right? We have started from training our own models. When we started to fine tune uh, the open source models based on some domains and tasks, and also we are leveraging uh, the open models, like commercial models like OpenAI, etc., for some particular task as well. Like for example, data generation or something like that. Or? For example, data generation, code generation. We code have generation. like. Uh, so we are deleveraging code, add some advanced reasoning. So you're saying you guys integrate multiple models into your stack for... Yeah, we are multi-model approach. Right. And we are uh, using this assemble approach. That right. You are just like, you know, uh, building uh, your solution from several models. And we are taking into account the constraints that are coming from our customers, right? Mm -hmm. The constraints, first you are mentioned, security, the privacy, security, and so on. Uh, uh, the second is their infrastructure, the cost of the uh, models, right? Right. So we have a solution uh, which is working on the CPUs. Mm -hmm. And this is like absolutely like, you know, cool stuff when we're te I'm telling to uh, in like, you know, guys from our community that we do instruction tuning on the CPUs. It's like, like yeah. <laughs> you are crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we are about to uh, like, yeah, so, so we're working with one of the uh, uh, largest enterprises in the world on a case study for this like CPU based infrasync. Yeah. So it was cool, like, you know, a result that our team yeah. achieved. You said something that sparked a question for me. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you guys have all these specific domains that need their own data, like the models need to be adapted so that they work well for these domains. One of the things, one of the biggest breakthroughs over the last like 18 to 24 months in language modeling, which really led to a lot of this stuff that we've been seeing over the last year is instruction tuning. So do you guys do that for these specific domains? Do you go out to like, I don't know, uh, lawyers or the other domains that you work in banking and stuff and get that kind of instruction data to apply it to the model so that they work better for those domains or, or is it different for you guys? So uh, you are absolutely right. So that's the... Uh, uh, most important part, right? Because with this instruction tuning, you have some kind of like, you know, transfer of the knowledge right. from the uh, like knowledge worker to AI. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have our like technology, which is like a pretty solid technology, which is uh, obtaining this instruction during the usage of our product. So you guys capture it. Yeah, and then we are storing in our verification databases and then using that for the fine tuning. Right. right. Interesting. One of the things that's been spoken a lot about with the advent of uh, generative AI has been this idea of like how companies can build a moat around some service. Because increasingly, like when you guys started Zero in 2014, what you were doing was extremely difficult. And it's still difficult because of the use cases and everything that you, you mentioned. But a lot of these tasks are becoming easier and easier to do, like summarization. And I think it's just an API call, right? For you guys, when you, it seems like you, uh, you already had the benefit of being in the industry for many years and you had the trust of uh, large portions of the industry. And then you guys really benefit from all these advances in the tech side because you're able to adapt those for your, your existing solutions, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, how do you think about the idea of, of Moat? Uh, and even just, just for you guys, like because as access to this technology gets easier and easier, 
presumably the competition and the solutions on the market also uh, increase a lot. So how do you stay competitive? It's a great question. So all these uh, large language models are working out of box in many tasks, right? You know, in many downstream tasks for like 70%, 80% of, of accuracy, right? And when we're speaking about the largest enterprises, that's not enough. Mm. You cannot like, you know, rely on the system which is like right on 70%, right? right. You need to pass to the last mile. And that's the defensibility and that's the mode how you are creating a system which is dependable, which is uh, reliable, uh, which is giving like your 90 plus uh, percent of the accuracy. And there is the thing with our like systematic data labeling engine, understanding of the domain, everything done inside uh, their security perimeter. It is like the system which is like learning over the time and adapt to that particular flows yeah. which are in the enterprise and giving them outst outstanding quality. Right. And that's the mode and that's the network effects because more you have, more usage you have, better, uh, like, you know, this verification data sets are created. The more data and, you and have. And sure. better, like, fine-tuning you create, better system you have, better system leads to more usage, mm -hmm. more usage to more feedback, and that's that defensibility flywheel. Right, right. So it, it comes down to access to data that your competitors may not necessarily have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Data, and not only data, like it's a, for, data, it's a yeah. data, it's a, from data, you are giving a product like solution, they are using that, then you are receiving the feedback. Right. And right. that it's a derivative, right? And right. that's yeah. the gold, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, for a company that's been on the market for nine years, it's easier to have those pipelines where you're getting that data. If you were to give advice to an entrepreneur starting out today and who's interested in building in, in the AI space, and today you basically can't do anything in the AI space without using that level of tech, right? The, the level of tech that's available through you can large always model find providers. And stuff. But, but I just mean, like, how does someone starting out build that data moat? What advice would you give? Uh, As, like, you know, high level, I can say this now it's a unique opportunity for many technological companies to enter the spaces like very conservative, such as, for example, enterprise, right? Big enterprise. You can, uh, I can bring an example of Harvey, right? It's a very popular company, which uh, uh, doing contract drafting. It's like the company backed by OpenAI, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, you know, like one, two years old company, right? And that company, for example, wins customers such as Allen Overy, uh, largest uh, law firm in the UK. There are, right. and before that, is like nobody could imagine that a startup <laughs> can, can yeah. win these kind of enterprises, right? So you just not uh, need to find the problem. You need to find an expensive problem. You need to find the problem uh, that that enterprises even for afraiding to think about that they can automate. Right. I guess in that sense, not and much go much after much. them. Right. Good answer. So a, a couple months ago, I noticed uh, this really interesting phrasing on your website. I believe it was Copilot for Knowledge Workers. It sparked an interest for me in the sense that, for those who don't know, Copilot is a really popular product that was released by GitHub. It's a coding assistant tool, essentially. It helps you write code using AI. And the idea is that, based on the, the messaging that I, I got, was 
Copilot for knowledge workers would be like a more generalized thing for, for knowledge workers. So just looking ahead a little bit, how do you foresee the future of these copilots for more, much more generalized stuff? Like coding is a very specific thing. So building a really specific copilot for that is easy to imagine. And today there's already some on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, for something more general, which maybe is even something that you guys are building up to, how do you see that changing our workflows in the next, let's say, five years, 10 years? The very short answer, imagine copilot of car, mm-hmm. like Tesla of copilot. So how it will change the way how you are driving. So the same you can apply or every single processes that you will have. So now the, we are creating these small copilots, which are very similar uh, with like copilot like the car, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I was always giving this example. So large language models are great, ChatGPT, etc. But instruct them to drive a car. Right. Where you go, you will hit the like you know tree (laughs) just like two two meters away right so you need to train you need to pass like these millions of miles and train that the same as like you know the processes with the knowledge workers too right because they were trained to do that they like you know learned and trained and this is like their competitive advantage to do that the best in the world so basically these co-pilots and what we are calling it skills right edges skills and agents will become world-class experts in particular domain and more usage will have better they will become and the people like will be much more confident on delegating the right. task to them so there'll be like an so, accounting co-work uh, co-pilot there'll be a, an insurance co-pilot etc etc in different domains right? of things which you right. w- where you are putting your expertise right and it'll augment those workers you think augment yeah absolutely augment so you, uh, you can save time and use that for another stuff right and make which it work more well. productive absolutely yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your guys' presence in, in Armenia. Um, so the, the structure of the company is, is split between the Bay Area and Armenia. Is that right? Our company is headquartered in Bay Area. Uh, our largest office is here in, in Armenia. We have presence in Canada. We have presence in East Coast. We have presence in Europe, in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Where in Canada? Uh, Montreal. Montreal, okay. I'm from Toronto, that's why I was asking. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, our traditional last question is, where do you see your company in, in five to ten years? We see that uh, we will have the, like, the largest workforce in the world, which will augment the knowledge workers in their day-to-day tasks. Uh, by workforce, you mean like the people using? Uh, using it's, no, it's like the agents, like the, ah, okay. the right. co-pilots, right. which will uh, augment like right. uh, uh, millions, why not like even billion knowledge workers around the world right. to be much more effective o- on their tasks. I'm waiting for that day. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for the invitation. Appreciate it was a great yeah. conversation. Thanks.